Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in to the Ken Wyman Show on BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Good afternoon, wherever you are. Ken Wyman, Ken Wyman Show. Baltimore Sports and Life, part of Blog Talk Radio. We do this every week. And the big story that we're going to get into today, we'll talk a lot about the Baltimore Orioles, maybe get in some Ravens, maybe some NHL finals, definitely some NBA finals. Michael Pina of uh, uh, Fox Sports, Sports and Earth, Bleacher Report. You can see his work in all those places. We'll talk NBA finals with him. And maybe a little bit we'll look back, at, of course, to the, East, the Eastern and Western Conference Finals coming up in about a half an hour. And in a few minutes, the boss, Chris Stoner, owner of Baltimore Sports and Life, is going to join the program. We'll talk some Orioles and maybe a couple other things with him. But let's start with the Orioles. And so the good news for you, if you're an Oriole fan, is that through 50 games, the Orioles are 28 and 22. They're three games out of first place. And... I think if you just looked at that on the surface, you'd feel okay. But when you look beyond that, the fact that they've lost seven of the last 10, the fact that since starting the season seven and zero, they are 21 and 22. The fact that their starting pitching doesn't seem to be able to be consistent at all. And they knew going into the season that starting pitching was their major issue. And all they did was sign Ivani Gallardo and eh, he's hurt, but they lost Wei Yin Chen. So Chen, who's, who's not pitching great for Miami, but you, you lose Chen, you bring in Gallardo. I still think Gallardo can be a productive member of this rotation, but currently he's on the disabled list. He's going to throw a rehab start Thursday in Frederick, and hopefully that goes well, and you can have him back here in a couple of weeks. But quite frankly, when you look at this rotation, and Kevin Gossman uh, got hit in the first two innings of a game against the Red Sox on Tuesday night, yeah, they've lost the first two games of a four-game series against the Red Sox, and the Red Sox look like, the, for all intents and purposes right now, the best team in the American League East, and it shows in their record. They're 32-20. and 20. They're three games up on the Orioles, five games up on the Blue Jays. The Orioles currently are closer to third place and second place, if you want to get a little more depressed. But uh, the Red Sox, and it's not just Pedroia and Ortiz, it's Bogarts, it's Bradley, it's Betts. Mookie Betts hit three home runs Tuesday night. And made a great catch. Basically, Mookie Betts beat the Orioles on Tuesday night. And Kevin Gossman gave up five runs in the first two innings. You can't win baseball games like that. They lose 7-2 on Monday afternoon. They lose 6-2 on Tuesday night. They are staring Abaldo Jimenez in the face on Thursday. So I think for most Oriole fans, you're hoping to get one of four games. And that's Mike Wright going against Joe Kelly Wednesday night. So it's not like they have a murderer's row of starting pitching. As I mentioned, Gossman's been good. Did not pitch well Tuesday night. Uh, Wright and Wilson have been okay. I think Wilson better than Wright, but both have been inconsistent. Tillman's been their ace, not an ace, but he's been their ace. And he's pitched well. And Abaldo has been god-awful. And, you know, when we talked last week, we were talking about the decision the Orioles were going to have to make uh, vis-a-vis Brian Mattis, and they ended up trading him to the, to the Braves and got a couple of prospects. We discussed that last week. Basically, the Braves wanted the draft pick. 
They immediately DFA'd Brian Mattis. But the Orioles are coming to a crossroads with the Baltimore Menez, and it's a tough one because he makes $12 million a year. And he's got one more year left on the deal. Abado Jimenez is currently 2-6 and six with a 6-3-6 ERA and a 187 whip. Ironically, 187 murder on your uh, pitching staff when your, your numbers are that bad. And, and the problem is he's now made 10 starts, three of which have been good, two of which have been really good. And then the other seven have been bad. And there's a, there's a theme to his bad starts. Three walks, three walks, four walks, four walks. Four walks, three walks, four walks, four walks. Too many free passes against the Red Sox on, was that Monday afternoon? Abaldo Jimenez was awful. And you can say, well, Pedro Alvarez made an error and that hurt him, and that's fine. But uh, when he faced them, and I'm sorry, that was against Cleveland, the the game that I'm speaking of, not Boston. But uh, when he faced them on uh, Sunday, I'm mean, in two-thirds, five hits, three walks, four stolen bases. That's not Pedro Alvarez. That's Abaldo Jimenez. And when he's going to be that bad, he makes it impossible for you to win baseball games. When you've given up six runs in an inning and two-thirds, whether three of them are earned or not, you put your team in a position where they can't win. Same thing when he played the Angels, and Buck left him in there because he knew the game was done. Uh, He gave up six runs in that game. He gave up six runs against Seattle. And you look at his ERA, he had that great start to start the season when he gave up only one run, two runs, and a win over the Minnesota Twins on April 7th. Uh, Immediately gave up four and five innings against Boston. And the ERA has gone from 129 to 375, went back down to 371, then back up to 391, then up to 520. Brought it back down with his second really good start of the year. Uh, went uh, eight innings, nine hits, two earned runs. And in his two really good outings, he walked one guy in, in uh, 15 innings, which is on a Baldo-like. But the area goes back up to 487, then 560, then 604, and then 636. It continues to rise, which is all, it's unacceptable. You know, the, the Orioles spent some money this offseason, and you can, you can complain all you want about how they spent it, and that's fine. But if you've been in a position where you've been complaining about the Orioles spending money for years, and then they spent the second most money in baseball this offseason, it would have been the most if they got Dexter Fowler done. It's hard to – you can't have it both ways. Now, the Orioles are a franchise that aren't going to spend long-term big money on pitching. The Abaldo contract, the, the – uh, Gallardo contract, those are the kind of contracts they're probably going to give pitchers. Uh, I don't know how much their mindset's going to change on that because they don't believe in giving seven-year deals to pitchers because they don't think the arm's going to last that long. And when that money is out there from other teams, it's tough for me to say a pitcher's going to come here or stay here. I'm curious. Chris Tillman, I think, has one year left. What happens to him? because he's probably in line for $100 million, and the Orioles aren't a team that's, that's going to give him that kind of money. You know, they were allegedly interested in uh, Jordan Zimmerman. But Jordan Zimmerman got over $100 million from the Tigers. And again, the Orioles, aren't in a, they're not a franchise that gives out that kind of money to, to pitchers. They spent big money on Chris Davis this offseason. Chris Davis is struggling right now. I still think Chris Davis is going to hit 35 to 40 home runs, driving runs. He'll get hot. He's a 260 career hitter, save for the, the one awful year when he wasn't allowed to use the medication. 
So I, I Chris Davis is going to hit 340 and 50 home runs. I don't see that, but I think he's going to hit 260, 35 to 40 home runs. That's just what he's going to do. He hit a ball uh, last night against Koji Uehara that uh, I know in the massive broadcast they thought it was a home run, but it was called foul on the field, and that was the guy who caught a foul had the best look. You know, I talked to people doing the radio show 105.7 The Fan who tried to tell me it was a home run. I said, how do you see that? Were you at the game? No, I was all on TV. What did you see in the replay that told you that was a home run? Because I watched the replay and I couldn't see. Basically, it's one of those things where the call on the field could not have been overturned. And the guy who had the best angle called it a foul ball. So I have to go with that guy. I don't know that it would have made a difference. It would have turned a 6-2 game into a 6-4 game, and and Craig Kimbrell looked great in the ninth inning. So I don't know how much changes. But they're struggling right now. Again, losers of 7-10. The Red Sox have taken the first two and four games set. Abaldo's pitching Thursday. You know the Red Sox have the best run differential in the American League? They're plus 80. Only the Cubs at a ridiculous plus 128 have a better run differential in baseball. Red Sox are hitting if they get any pitching, they're going to be really good. I'm not telling you what you don't know. But it might be the case. And the Red Sox, if you're an Oriole fan, you probably are a little frustrated. The Orioles lost and lost and lost for, what, 14 years? And they really didn't have a, an incredibly deep farm system when that was all said and done. Well, the Red Sox have had their poor years. And they won a World Series but were in last place the other years. They're loaded with young talent. They've done a great job of scouting and drafting. Bogarts, Betts, Bradley, all, all talent from their system. They have Rusny Castillo, the Cuban kid. Now he's a guy they pay big money for. Their farm system is much richer than the Orioles' farm system. I was talking to somebody last night at the, uh, talking about it at the deadline. The Red Sox and Orioles are both going to be looking for pitching, and the Red Sox have more to give up. So let's continue talking some Orioles baseball. Let's bring in the man who makes all this possible, the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. Chris Stoner joins us on the program. And, Chris, how are you today? Ken, doing well outside of uh, the last couple nights uh, against the Red Sox. Uh, other than that, sun's out. Life's good. How about yourself? I'm good, man. Let's get into the Orioles. So how concerned are you about what we're seeing lately? Yes, the Red Sox have taken the first two of a four-game series against the Orioles, but, but the bigger picture, the fact that this starting pitching staff that we were concerned about entering the season has been struggling. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, I try not to get too high when you're uh, in the midst of uh, a winning streak, like the two seven-game streaks earlier, or when you're uh, losing. You know, you're, you're never as good as you look when you're hot or as poor as you look when you're uh, uh, when you're down. But, you know, what are you hanging your hat on if you're the Orioles? To me, complexion-wise, they're pretty similar to what they've been the last, uh, you know, really since 2012. You know, they – they have the ability to slug. Uh, their on-base percentage is going to be mediocre, the below average. Uh, the starting pitching is mediocre. Bullpen is pretty good, and defensively, uh, they've been strong historically. Right now, the infield is pretty good. Well, obviously, better when Hardy gets back uh, on your corner outfielders. It's you know, it's pretty me- mediocre. But you know, you're keyed on it. It's the starting pitching that, <laughs> more than anything else that you really have to look at, and. Uh, you have Tillman, who stepped up this year, improved from last year. Really, you know, he was okay against everybody other than Toronto last year. This year, he's improved. The velocity's up a little bit. Uh, adding that fourth pitch made a difference. Uh, but the homers that he wasn't allowing early on this year—that's not sustainable. 
And then you look at Gaussman, to me, who's always the, been the wild card for this team. It's like he either reaches his ceiling and that makes a real difference for this team, or he doesn't. And the rotation that is was limited to begin with is looks that much uh, is that much more of a question. You know, I you've got multiple spots to fill, and the bigger bigger point I guess going on is that you don't have a system uh, where you have a lot of strength to go out and acquire uh, additional assets. Well, I guess the big question is, and we're sticking with the rotation, is what do they do with Evaldo Jimenez? Because he's been, you know, I've been saying for a long time you got to stick with him. He's got upside. When he's right, he's really good. And you really don't have a lot of options. But if he continues to pitch the way he's pitched of late, anybody can pitch that poorly. Yeah, Ken, I kind of match, matched your sentiments there as well up until about, you know, I guess three weeks ago I was still singing that. I mean, with Jimenez, I guess my issue this year is last year they uh, addressed his mechanics, kind of simplified him a little bit. He had the lowest walk percentage of his career, uh, way below his career averages. This year he goes back to his uh, prior mechanics, walk percentage back up. I, I don't understand why that change was <laughs> was made. Um, you know, he's a guy that is, you know, next year I could see him Returning, being a useful starter. I mean, when you look around baseball, most teams don't have five adequate starters. This is a guy that's consistently, uh, aside from, I guess, 2014, has been somebody that over the last seven, eight years, is you know, he'll go out, give 30 starts, 180-some innings, and he'll be a, you know, he'll be a legitimate major league starter with sometimes flashing some, uh, uh, some upside. But right now, I mean, he's just, lost and I'm you know I, every comment is that the Orioles are going to go ahead and start him again tomorrow my sense was I would have uh, made the move to put Worley out there temporarily right now yeah but advanced Worley who has has started before in the major leagues but it, it's almost like we talked about the lack of options you can't feel really confident if that's your if that's your guy Vance Worley I'm sure he's a fifth starter. You know, he's also a guy that that hasn't ever uh, pulled up a ton of innings. Uh, really, that's a stopgap option only. You know, trying to get you through another couple weeks until Gallardo gets back. But then, even with him, you're looking at somebody whose peripherals, even before you signed him, have consistently uh, gone you know gone down the last few years. There was definitely red flags before you signed him. Your only hope was that. Uh, you know, his big calling card that he's been durable throughout his career. And, of course, the Royals signed him, and right and right away he has durability issues. So, you know, Gallardo gets back. I'm, I, you know, my only hope for him is that he uh, pitches like a league average fifth starter the rest of the way. Bottom line is rotation is going to continue to have issues. Uh, you can't be reliant on on a Tyler Wilson who, you know, to his credit, has exceeded my expectations for him this year. Sure. Uh, but uh, and I think he shows some pitchability. But he's a he's a back end starter, or Mike Wright, who has some nice uh, you know power arm, but questionable secondaries, uh, questionable mound presence. Also has issues with his control. And to be reliant on you know three fifths of your rotation to be a total question at this point you know, as June starts, uh, it, it's a big issue as you project ahead. Talking to the boss, Chris Stoner, owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, what's your concern level with Chris Davis right now? The strikeouts are mounting and the, and the home runs aren't. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, Davis, to me, always seems to be a guy that, uh, uh, when he's cold, looks like he can't hit a beach ball, and when he's hot, I mean, he hits everything. So I think the numbers will probably even out, as you said. Uh, right now, it's you know he's in one of those funks where it's tough to watch, where it just uh, uh, the approach is pretty miserable. At the end of the day, I would I would think he'll. Uh, even if he struggles, he'll wind up with an OPS somewhere uh, above, you know, at around 850 or so. I think right now he's, I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but he's probably gone under uh, 800. So we'll ride the next uh, hot streak, but certainly need more out of him and, uh, you know, Adam Jones as you go forward. You mentioned Adam Jones, Chris, and, and I'm curious. Uh, I wonder if the injuries, and he had injury issues last year, and he's had some injury issues to start the year, didn't go in the DL but missed some games. I, I wonder if, if he's just playing through stuff, and this is something that's been nagging him for a while now, and we're just not going to see the numbers we're used to seeing from Adam Jones. Yeah, I've had to wonder as well. Obviously, uh, you know, ribcage issues can certainly linger, but you know, he has that hot week where he hits everything, goes on Minnesota. Maybe you know, thought is maybe oh, maybe you're finally feeling a little, little bit better. Jones's own quote at the time is, you know, I wasn't in, uh, hurt or injured. I just wasn't playing well uh, prior. So I'm going to take, yeah, maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I'm going to take Jones at his uh, his own words there and say, you know, just the play right now isn't. Uh, isn't sufficient um you know if you look at him historically he's had a lot of months in his career where he's just looked uh lost pretty much at least one and sometimes two months a year every year but he's kind of balanced that out similarly to davis where he'll also have scorching months um orioles are going to need that uh going forward you, you need some of the people that haven't been producing uh to step up as as you certainly would expect Trumbo to, you know, have a, a regress from what he's been so far to start the year. And, and obviously Manny looks like an MVP candidate, but uh, you would expect the pace to at least slow a little bit. Last Orioles thing, and then we'll switch gears, uh, Chris. You mentioned Manny Machado, and you know, the Orioles allegedly were close to signing him to an extension a couple of years ago, somewhere between 80 and $85 million. So they might've been $5 million apart, but didn't get it done. Now, it feels like every day the price to do business for Manny Machado is going to go up. And I just wonder how, how confident do you think Oriole fans are that they're going to spend the kind of money it's going to take to keep Manny Machado? Uh, I guess two, a couple, couple different things there. The confidence level of those fans is probably uh, middling at best. I imagine people are skeptical. But Orioles did spend more money this offseason than we've seen them uh, – uh, spend, uh, you know, salary now, now up around 150 million. That's uh, a new level for the Orioles. Uh, as far as extending Machado, I think, I think a lot of us were calling for that really in the earliest days when he was first brought up in 2012, looking for that initial Longoria deal that uh, uh, Tampa had first uh, got years ago. When that didn't happen, you're looking at a price tag that was just going to continue to increase. And right now, uh, it's you know I don't have a great handle on what it is. I guess what I've been saying is you know maybe you're looking at uh, Josh Donaldson's uh, arbitration years for the next two years uh, at that level, followed by 30 million a year for you know four years, six years, or you know you would certainly imagine there would be an opt out in there. Uh, and also, you know, it all becomes how 
willing or what Machado is looking for. Does he want a shorter-term deal so then he can re-enter free agency later? Does he want longer-term security and just to say that's home? You know, either way, the world's going to have to park up a lot of money. Do I think they're going to be willing to do that? I do. It doesn't mean that he's going to sign. So right now, I guess I'm just enjoying the year that he's putting up, and hopefully uh, the Orioles do enough around him to entice him to want to stay. Talking to the boss, Chris Stoner, owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. Let's get your thoughts on a couple other things before we run. I uh, haven't heard your thoughts yet on uh, the Ravens as they've started their, their OTAs, and uh, they lost a week of OTAs because they don't know the rules or tried to break the rules, however you want to read that. But uh, your thoughts on how they've done this off season and what your expectations are for the season? I'm getting more exciting, excited as the year uh, grows closer. Camp uh, not too far away. Now it's warming up. You can actually start to feel it a little bit. Um, as far as what to expect, I, uh, I think just a, uh, a reversal of health. You would expect the Ravens to be back in uh, near playoff territory. you got two teams uh in the division with Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, they're going to be uh, expected to be playoff teams by most. Pittsburgh with a ton of offensive talent. Cincinnati's taken a few hits this offseason, but I think they they still have a pretty strong younger core. Uh, Ravens, to me, I, I'm not in love with the skill position talent, but I do think there is a fair amount of pieces in place that are capable of making plays. I'm really anxious to see further reports about Perriman, the last few uh, things we've seen in the last week or two, that's somewhat encouraging. Not that I'm expecting him to be, even if healthy, to be a, uh, you know, an immediate all-pro. I'm just looking for him to be a uh, factor on the field, you know, uh, take top off, obviously, and uh, open some things up for the running game. Kind of looking forward to seeing him and Wallace, uh, uh, across the field from each other, that that excites me, uh, and certainly getting a uh, Flacco back and hopefully a full season out of him, uh, that should be a pre- big difference. And defensively, I kind of like where the Ravens are at at this point. I think uh, 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 I'm particularly encouraged about the uh, about the line. Uh, they underperformed a little bit to me last year, and I, but I think with Williams and Jernigan and Davis and uh, what they were able to do through the draft, I think they. They have some uh, means there to uh, to you know, surprise some people. Terps basketball, very good week last week for Terps basketball. Melo Trimble returns, and they sign this. Uh, well, they they get this kid Justin Jackson, the Canadian kid, top forty recruit. All of a sudden, according to some people, Maryland has a top ten recruiting class in the country, and they go from a team that we were looking at as a a borderline tournament team to probably a team that is a preseason top twenty five program in the, in uh, college basketball. Yeah, and inside Maryland Sports uh, reported today that uh, Maryland added another member to their 2016 class in forward Joshua uh, Tomiak, Tomiich. Uh, I think it's Tomiich, the Spanish kid. Tomiich, yeah, stretch uh, four type from uh, Spain. Yeah, so now the roster all of a sudden, and you're 13 deep. It's pretty interesting to me. Uh, uh, you know, certain times in these uh, NBA playoffs, we saw a couple times uh, teams really having to go to, uh, having to and wanting to go to smaller lineups. I'm interested to see, uh, if you look at the personnel for Maryland, it, it's a lot of uh, guards and wings, uh, how Turgeon utilizes the talent that he has. 
I'd like to see a, a team that gets up and down the floor a little bit more than we've seen in his uh, Turgeon's previous years, uh, does a little bit more pressing and trapping, and I think he has the, uh, the lineup to do it. And what's also kind of exciting if you're a Maryland fan is there looks to be a fair amount of uh, shooters that should be uh, all over the floor and ability to, to really uh, space yourself out. Chris Stoner, Baltimore Sports and Life. He's the man who runs the place. I'll let everybody know about the website. Well, Ken, uh, first, really glad uh, to have you as a part. I think uh, the show has been great. I think you've uh, done a great job, and I think you're a uh, – it kind of identifies what we're trying to do at the site where we, uh, you know, we want to have strong discussions, strong analysis, and that, you know, and we try and bring in people that can contribute in that regard. You've obviously done that for years in the marketplace. Uh, your guest the last few weeks you've had on other people from our, our site, uh, Paul Sporer from uh, also does work for Fan Graphs. You'll see him occasionally on MLB Network. He's an Oriole analyst for us. You've had on uh, Jason Hershorn, a uh, member of the Pro Football Writers Association, contributes for Sports on Earth, uh, covering the game nationally. Uh, as a, He's a Ravens analyst for us. And then last week you had on uh, Chris Naki. Obviously, everybody uh, locally knows him. Chris has been uh, great to the site and and does some uh, uh, Terps writing for us. At the we have a. uh, In addition to our writers, we have an active message board. Hope other people come out and join us. Discussions of Orioles, Ravens, Terps, also all the major sports, and then some off-topic stuff. uh, Yeah, movie, TV, pretty much everything else. Uh, you know, we needed some other people to come out and find us. I uh, hope, uh, hope they will. But, again, Ken, my thanks for being part of the site and the uh, work you've done. And uh, appreciate you having me on today. No, thank you. Uh, Chris Stoner, owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. Chris, thanks so much for your time. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. All right, Ken. Take care. Thanks. You too. Christopher Stoner, Baltimore Sports and Life. Check out the website. It's, uh, he really does a great job with that. And if you're looking for uh, intelligent discussion about all different sports and local stuff, especially Orioles, Ravens, Terps, and a great – I can't stress enough, a great week Turgeon had last week with the Terps. Uh, to go from uh, the program looking at maybe a down year, and, and Cowan's coming in and Herder's coming in, and they like both those kids a lot. But, you know, you lost Diamond Stone, you lost Robert Carter, you lost Suleiman, and it looked like – and Lehman, and it looked like you were losing Melo Trimble. But now you get Melo back. Remember, Deion Wiley's coming back from an injury. They were expecting big things from him last year. You have the freshman coming in. You have uh, other guys that, uh, that were on this team like Dodd and Tchaikovsky and Bender. And now you have this recruiting class. And uh, Tamayich, the Spanish kid now, the fifth member of this recruiting class, and it looks like uh, Maryland basketball might make some noise this year. And maybe the expectation won't be as big, but maybe they get further. Who knows? It's the Ken Wyman Show, Baltimore Sports and Life, where you can find us, all part of Blog Talk Radio. Coming up in the next half hour, we'll talk to Michael Pena, who covers the NBA for Fox Sports, Sports on Earth, Bleacher Report, get his thoughts on the NBA Finals. And did the Golden State Warriors beat the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Oklahoma City Thunder choked? We'll get into that in a few minutes. The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or BARKS for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City, and their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need, all of them, and they, they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at BARKS by making a tax-deductible contribution to the BARKS Medical Care Fund. You can donate online at BaltimoreAnimalShelter.org or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230.
Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals, and they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org. Speak, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. Speak is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Ken Wyman Show, it's episode five. We'll talk to Michael Pena from... Uh covers the NBA for Fox Sports, Sports on Earth, Bleach Report. Uh, you'll see his work in all those places. Talk some NBA basketball with him. Ask him about where he thinks Kevin Durant's going to end up. Ask him about the Western Conference Final. And we'll get into the Cleveland Cavaliers as the NBA Finals start on Thursday. Uh, I, I kind of feel sorry, and, and we've discussed this before on my show on The Fan, and I think we've mentioned it here as well. I like hockey. I'm not an anti-hockey guy. But when it comes to the hierarchy of what I like, it's probably baseball is number one. I love baseball and then NFL football, uh, college basketball, uh, college, uh, college football and NBA basketball are all ahead of the NHL. So while I like hockey, if those other things are on, I'm going to watch them over hockey now, save for when the Capitals get to the playoffs and then I'll watch the Capitals. And I basically watch just about every game almost every minute of every game until they get eliminated and not if they get eliminated, it's when they get eliminated and being watching these guys for a long time. I know it's not an if proposition. It's a when proposition. So uh, I'll watch the caps. So they get eliminated. And when that happens, then I can go back to watching the other things. And while the NBA playoffs have not been, uh, they, they've been sort of predictable though, the Western conference finals and Oklahoma city's run wasn't predictable, but what Cleveland did in the East I think was pretty predictable. Uh, but the, uh, the NHL playoffs are always, they always have some unpredictability. And you know, the Capitals won the President's Trophy, and they got knocked out by the Penguins. Uh, the Penguins are now in the Stanley Cup Finals playing the San Jose Sharks. And, and I wonder, so the, the game one of the NHL Finals, Stanley Cup Finals, was on at the same time. It started an hour earlier than game seven of the Western Conference Finals in the NBA. And I wonder, did anybody watch the hockey? The diehard hockey fan, obviously. Pittsburgh Penguins fans obviously watched it. Uh, I wonder how many San Jose Sharks fans are also Golden State Warrior fans because they're both in the Bay Area. So if that's the case, uh, how many of those people are watching the Warriors game seven over San Jose game one? I would say a lot. And so, and there's nothing they can do. The game's on NBC. NBC's not moving the game. So you're sort of stuck, and you're stuck with a product that, that while it's a good product, I think, I don't know that it's ever going to capture any more of the market share than what it has, and what it has isn't a whole lot, right? 
you know, it, it's tough to it, it's tough to see hockey gain any more of a stranglehold on viewers than they already have, and it's not that big a a, a hold. So I kind of feel sorry for the NHL because it's a it's a very good product, but for me, I'm never going to be more into it than I am. And so, game one of the Stanley Cup Finals for the other night, I didn't watch a second of it. I watched the highlights in the morning. I saw the Pittsburgh won. I said, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm not passionate about it, but I'm rooting for San Jose because I just don't like Pittsburgh. That's just how I am. So I'm rooting for the Sharks. The Penguins won game one. If the Penguins win the Stanley Cup, uh, I, okay, I'll move on. I don't think I'm going to get sad about it. It doesn't hurt me like, say, uh, things in the NFL or uh, NBA. You know, I'm a long-suffering Sixers fan. Uh, <laughs> What happens in the NBA always uh, drives me crazy because the Sixers for years now have, have not even tried to win. And I'm curious to see what they do this offseason. Already rumors that Brian Colangelo might be trying to trade uh, Jaleel Okafor or Nerlens Noel. And I know they've dealt a lot of their, their Michael Carter-Williams in the past. And Joel Embiid has never been healthy, but they're expecting him to play this year. And they get the kid Sarich from Europe. So... I'm curious, at least for the first time, to see what the Sixers do, and they have the first pick in the draft. And will they go Brandon Ingram or Ben Simmons? My preference will be Simmons, but I have to trust in the basketball people in that situation. But it's it's at least interesting, finally, to be a Sixers fan and think there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train, right? Because they're actually, I think, going to try. They might spend some money and try to get into the playoffs. I don't think they're a title contender, but in the Eastern Conference, you, there's a lot of room to grow. The East was better this year, but it wasn't super competitive because, well, it was competitive with everybody else but Cleveland. We knew when the, when the uh, playoffs started, the Cavaliers were going to the NBA Finals. Uh, I said there's no team in the Eastern Conference that can take four out of seven from Cleveland. The only team I, I would have given half a shot to, and I still don't believe they would have done it, would have been a healthy Miami Heat. If Chris Bosh were healthy and he's not, then I'd have given him half a shot. But Toronto, Detroit, Atlanta, I, I wasn't giving them any shot. And I was impressed that Toronto got two games. <laughs> I thought that Cleveland would win maybe in four. Maybe, maybe Toronto would get that first game at home. But the fact that they were able to, to, to get it, to get both games at home and, and take that series of six games, it's a moral victory. I don't know how good they feel about it, but I didn't expect Toronto to be able to beat Cleveland. So now the NBA finals start Thursday. Michael Pena covers the NBA for uh, multiple outlets, Fox Sports, Sports on Earth, Bleacher Report, and he joins us now. And, Michael, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, thank you. Is it Pena, first of all? I don't want to get that wrong. Uh, Pena. No, okay. Apologies. Uh, let's start no, by no. looking back instead of looking uh, forward. Uh, Golden State, Oklahoma City series. Are you on the side that Golden State won or that Oklahoma City choked? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both. Anytime a team is up 3-1 in the fourth quarter of a closeout game, game six, they were up. Um, it's hard not to to look at that and uh, not say that that team kind of choked is a harsh word, but they let one get away, uh, definitely. And on the other hand, their opponent is, you know, arguably the best team of all time, 
and the Golden State Warriors hit some threes in game six and game seven that were incredible. And I know that we kind of have gotten used to them firing away and hitting um, unbelievable shots, off balance, contested. It doesn't really matter when it's Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Uh, but those guys hit some shots, and Oklahoma City's offense got a little bit stagnant down the down the stretch of, of game six particularly. And I think that they could have won that game at home. Uh, so I think it's, it's I think it's a combination of both. I don't want to say that Oklahoma City choked though, because I think that's a little harsh when you're when you're saying when you look at who exactly they were playing and what they were up against. Michael, if we take Game Six in specific, they were up seven with five minutes to go. Is that more of a choke? They seemed to just uh, get tight after that. No, for sure. Uh, their offense was an, ab- an abomination down the stretch of that game, and. Uh, credit is due to the defensive performance by Andre Iguodala in that game uh, guarding Kevin Durant. He was amazing. Uh, Steve Kerr made a great decision to start Iguodala in the third quarter and then start him <clears throat> in the starting lineup <clears throat> from the opening tip in, in game seven. That was key. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma City's offense down the stretch was pretty pretty terrible in game six. I don't think anyone's questioning that. Michael, you mentioned, uh, obviously everybody knows about the Splash Brothers at this point, Steph and uh, Clay Thompson, and but and Steph is great, but he was doing some video game stuff in game seven. Yeah, I mean, that's that's who he is. And and Oklahoma City's defense, I thought, in game seven was, it wasn't as great as it, as it was earlier in the series, probably. Um, their, uh, their discipline and their cohesion on switches was still pretty great and uh you know defending Steph Curry on pick and rolls when you have to switch and and usually there's a big on him 25 26 27 feet from the basket um it's a tough it's a tough place to be in for any defense and I thought that Adams and Ibaka did as as best they could and Steph just hit some ridiculous shots Talking to Michael Pina, covers the NBA for Fox Sports, Sports on Earth, Bleacher Report. You can find his, all, his work in all those places. And, yeah, it's interesting that Stephen Adams had done a great job covering, at least statistically, earlier in the series. But Game 7, that sort of flipped. And it's Steph Curry's that guy that you take out uh, to the, the courts for horse. He, the shots he was hitting you know, versus seven-footers, you're not supposed to be able to make those shots, but he makes those shots. Yeah, uh, particularly just – you know, off the dribble stuff, him creating his own space. Um, and and like I said, the distance doesn't matter. Uh, his balance doesn't matter. Uh, his feet don't need to be pointed towards the basket. It, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it's, you know, we, we know that he's the unanimous MVP. He won the MVP last year. He's been the best player in the world for two straight years. Uh, but when you watch how he gets it done, it's it's so difficult every single time, at least for me, to think that it can sustain itself uh, just because it's so incredible. The shots that he hits, it's unprecedented, and it's just amazing. Michael, were you surprised at the disrespect that Westbrook and Durant showed uh, Curry during uh, – it was after one of the games they were asked about his defense, and Westbrook laughed, and then Durant answered the question, and it's interesting – uh, I don't know if you call it karma or what, but they didn't win a game after that. 
Yeah, um, my personal opinion on that was that, you know, Westbrook is his own entity, and we don't really know what <laughs> what he was specifically laughing at uh, when that question was asked. He might have been laughing at the the uh, the question itself, the fact that someone would be asking him if Steph Curry was an underrated defender uh, moments after the Warriors. Uh, beat the thunder. Uh, he might've just been laughing at that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, he, he doesn't really give the, uh, the respect maybe that, that to his opponent that he, he, that others do, I guess. But I don't know if it's a karmic thing. I mean, after game seven, when they lost, he commented that Curry was hitting shots over the bigs and, you know that's kind of a towards um, towards the bigs, I guess, or towards just the Curry's ability to hit shots over seven footers, as opposed to uh, hit, uh, Westbrook maybe being able to stop him. Um, so maybe it's a karmic thing. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think maybe there was just a little too made out of that. To be honest. No problem, uh, Michael. Uh, now we look forward with Oregon, with excuse me, Oklahoma City, and the question is Kevin Durant, and what's the future hold for Kevin Durant? Do you uh, are you expecting him to sign this uh, two year deal with an opt out that everybody's talking about? That seems to be the most uh, the most likely scenario for sure. Uh, it just makes a ton of sense. Uh, Basketball wise, it makes sense. Financially, it makes sense. Um, the Thunder could have won the championship this season, to be honest. I mean, they they were, they beat the Spurs. Uh, they arguably should have beat the, the Warriors, one of the best teams ever. And uh, I think that they would have a pretty, uh, pretty good matchup against the Cavaliers, a team that has no real rim protection. So I think that, that Durant and Westbrook would have had a really productive, a really productive finals if they advanced. Uh, so if I was Durant, I don't know. I mean, if winning is the thing that he wants and he can have winning and he can have the most money, then Oklahoma city makes a ton of sense. Uh, or he could head East, uh, and be in a situation where the path to the finals next season would probably be a lot easier, but I don't know, uh, which team in the Eastern conference really has the, the talent that, uh, that the Thunder have right now with Ibaka and Westbrook. I don't think there is a team he could sign with in the East that has that talent. So uh, you, you'd have to, if you were betting your life on it, I would say that he would sign the one-and-one one with Oklahoma City. Talking to Michael Pena, covers the NBA for Fox Sports, Sports on Earth, Bleacher Report. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I, I expected them to get to the NBA Finals. I just didn't think there was much competition for them in the East. They look so good doing it. Are they that good, or is the East that bad? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, the way that, as you, you just mentioned, the kind of a margin of victory that they had and the, their net rating, which measures the, the point differential per 100 possessions, was historically great up to this point. And, you know, every team in NBA history that has had a similar net rating up until the finals won the finals. So from that perspective, uh they are serv- certainly a deserving champion, but, you know, how they match up against the Warriors is a different story, and I don't know if they have 
they, they will definitely have problems defensively stopping Curry and, and, and the Curry dream on green pick and roll and Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving's ability to guard their man, stay in front of their man and, and not be exposed will be a big storyline in the series. So I think the Cavaliers are very good. Uh, I don't know if I, – I, I think they may be running into kind of a buzzsaw here, though. And, you know, it's something to be ashamed of. <laughs> the Warriors are just their, – they're unprecedented greatness. So, so it's – Michael, it's, I think you nailed one of the big things on the head for me, and that is they didn't have Curry uh, – excuse me, uh, Irving and Love last year in the finals, and those guys are great offensive players – but they're both bad defensive players, and I'm curious to see what they're going to do in this series defensively. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a huge question mark. And last year in game one, uh, Kyrie in the finals, before he fractured his kneecap, Kyrie's defense on Curry was pretty great. But I, I'm, you know, watching him play defense throughout this playoff run, he's been pretty bad. And he's, you know, his... his Resume throughout his entire career is that of a, a subpar defender, and Kevin Love has struggled. He struggled in both meetings during the regular season, uh, defending the Warriors and, and uh, specifically defending the Curry Green pick and roll. So uh, when that when when the Warriors go small, he's kind of a, li- a bit of a liability. So yeah, it's a huge question mark. And I don't know if the Cavs will be able to outscore the Warriors because that might be their only chance to win the series. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens. It's it's one of those things you play devil's advocate. You know, LeBron last year in the finals basically picked up four guys at the Y and was able to win two games. And this year he's got his full complement of guys. J.R. Smith goes from a second option to a fourth option. They, they've they've got Channing Fry now, so they've got to feel. At least I would think LeBron feels really confident. No, definitely. And his, I think if you're LeBron specifically, you have a lot fewer responsibilities offensively where he is, whereas he doesn't need to um, do literally everything on offense in this series, which is wonderful. And it, it'll really, I think, rejuvenate him on the other end too because uh, I, I don't know if this is something that, the Cavs will do, but they may want to try putting LeBron on Draymond Green and, and kind of uh, mirror the same strategy that the Thunder used where they put Durant on Green so you can switch that Green-Curry pick-and-roll. Uh, so having LeBron, if you can unlock him uh, on both ends where he's not expending so much energy on one side of the ball, I think that's a wonderful thing for Cleveland. Uh, but then again, it all comes back to the just the defensive liabilities that, that Cleveland has on its roster. And in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, they had a lot of difficulty in the back half of that series guarding Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. And I mean, this is a totally different monster right now. So it could be trouble. Do you think LeBron's getting enough respect? It seems like everybody hangs on to that decision, which was awful, the way he handled leaving Cleveland the first time. But he's playing in his sixth consecutive NBA final, and we can debate how strong the East is, but still, you got to get there. It's incredibly impressive. I think he's the first Celtic to do this, the first non-Celtic to do this. Yeah, technically him and James Jones. <laughs> <laughs> James but, Jones, too, yes. Yes. Um, no, I mean, uh, me personally, I I can't give any more respect to him. He's 
in my opinion, the second best player of all time, or he will go down as the second best player of all time when he retires. By the time he retires, um, he's still the you know one B to Curry's one A best player in the world, which is phenomenal when you look at the the uh, the amount of minutes that he's played in his career and how old he is, and the fact that he just never really gets hurt. Um, he is tremendous, and you really can't say uh, anything <laughs> anything more about him. He He's almost a flawless basketball player. Obviously, his jump shot has suffered this season. It's been a little better over the past few weeks. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's just such a – he's a wonderful, wonderful basketball player. A couple final things with Michael Pena covers the NBA for Fox Sports, Sports on Earth, and Bleacher Report. So uh, uh, let's get a pick from you. I, I, I've been saying Warriors in six. Uh, how do you see this series going? Uh, because I'm in a little bit of an antagonist, I, I've been saying, uh, I've been tweeting and whatnot, that I think the Cavs are going to win the series. <laughs> even though, you know, every single thing I just told you leans towards the Warriors, and it, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you kind of look at both teams and how they match up. But, you know, I just think that LeBron will do something absolutely extraordinary that will defy the numbers that we have and kind of what we've seen and what we expect. I think that this he understands that this may be the last great real run uh, if he stays in Cleveland with this roster. Uh, because if they don't beat the Warriors this year, I mean the Warriors, the Warriors aren't changing anytime soon. Yeah. So he can get to the finals as much as he wants, and if he keeps facing up against this team, the older he gets, the the, the lower percentage of him having success is. So I, I don't know. I just think that there will he will dig deep, and I don't want to bet against LeBron James. That's kind of where I stand. Hey, can so we put my final prediction with? I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I, I I cut you off. Yeah, no. Just I just want to say, so my final prediction would probably be Cavs and six would be my prediction. Could we put in perspective how big a deal it would be? You factor in that Cleveland hasn't won a championship since I think '64. That LeBron coming home, it for him to for them and him to accomplish this, how big a deal that would be? Yes, yeah, certain certainly the the narrative form of of this run. And him coming home, as you said, and uh, avenging last year's loss uh, against a team that is, you know, they won 73 games during the regular season. They just came back from a 3-1 deficit against a team that boasts two top five players. So to beat the Warriors at full strength, which is what the Warriors kind of look like they are, I, I think Curry's fine. I think everybody else on the team is physically okay. I think it would performance from him to do it, and you know if he if he did it would be, I mean it would it would probably be the most impressive accomplishment of his career. I would say. Last thing for you, I'm a long-suffering Philadelphia 76ers fan. Do you think they're actually going to try to compete this year? And who would you take with the first pick? Uh, I would take first of all. I would take Ben Simmons. I think when. I've talked to a few coaches at LSU for a story I'm working on right now, and uh, obviously they're a little biased, but the everything that they say about him is just, you know, the, the players that they compare him to and what he can be 
uh, from Magic Johnson to LeBron. It's just it's uh, it's crazy when you think about it, and you don't pass up players like that. So I would take Simmons, and I do think that they have a lot of moves to make, uh, specifically in their front court. They need to kind of unclog it a little bit. I think Okafor. If you take Simmons and Saric comes over, then, I mean, Okafor is probably the odd man out there. And then, so you move him. And they obviously have a ton of free uh, cap space for free agency, yeah. but I don't know how attractive they are this summer. Next summer, there's a lot of, a lot. it's a better class next summer. But I think if they make, if Simmons, if they draft Simmons and he looks like, you know, he has a rookie of the year season, kind of like the one, that Carl Anthony Towns just had in Minnesota and their future looks bright, then all of a sudden, you know, anything can happen because they have so much flexibility. Uh, Sam Hinkie really put them in a wonderful position. So I, I don't know if, if this season they will be competitive, but I, I also don't think that they will be, you know, historically atrocious either. He's Michael Pena. You can see his work in sport, on Sports on Earth, Fox Sports, also uh, Bleacher Report. Give him a follow on Twitter at Michael V. Pena. Michael, great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, so uh, I, I feel a little better. My Sixers maybe uh, will try to compete. It's a long process, though. I, I have to respect said process. It's so Ken Wyman show. Baltimore Sports and Lights, where you can find us. Check out the website. It's a great website. Uh, here we are on Blog Talk Radio. We'll come back, uh, get some more Orioles stuff before we wrap things up. Episode 5, Ken Wyman Show, Baltimore Sports and Life. The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or BARKS for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City. And their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need, all of them. And they, they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at Barks by making a tax-deductible contribution to the Barks Medical Care Fund. You can donate online at BaltimoreAnimalShelter.org or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals, and they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org. SPEAK, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. SPEAK is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter.
Welcome back to the Ken Wyman Show. As we hit taping, uh, the Baltimore Orioles currently sit at 28-22. and 22. They're three games back of the Boston Red Sox. They're only two games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays for second place in the division. Uh, if these, uh, just taking a look in some of the things you, you look at. So if the season were to end today, and of course they're 50 games into a 162 game season, but it's just fun to play with numbers sometimes. So the, the Rangers would be the Westwood division winner. The Royals would win the central and the Red Sox would win the East. And the two wild cards would be the Mariners. And it looks like because they played less games, the Orioles would be the second wild card. So for what it's worth, they would be a playoff game today, a playoff team today. Uh, they have not been playing great of late. They have lost 7 of 10. They have lost the first two games of the series against the Red Sox. They have been a team that has played uh, one game under 500 for the last, what, 43 games since starting 7-0, and and that includes another seven-game winning streak. So uh, some struggles for the Orioles, and it's been the predictable struggles. The pitching has not been as, as good as it needs to be. Uh, Kevin Gossman was the recent culprit against the Red Sox on Tuesday night, giving up five runs in the first two innings. Mookie Betts beat the Orioles by himself Tuesday night, hitting three home runs, making a great catch. And uh, Mike Wright pitches Wednesday night, and he has not been great lately. He's up and down. He's hot and cold, whatever cliche you want to talk about with Mike Wright. And then the the disaster that is Abado Jimenez pitches on Thursday. And, you know, that's why it was so huge when they were in Anaheim when uh, they won that game on Saturday when Weeters hit the home run in the ninth inning to, to uh, come back from a one nothing deficit because you had Abaldo staring you in the face on Sunday, and then he pitches awfully. And he had an awful start against the Angels, and so, of course, they lost that game. And then his next start he, he, against the Indians, he's awful again. And the Indians, it was embarrassing. In an inning and two-thirds, every time they got a base runner on, they would just run. Mike Napoli stole a base. They stole four bases in an inning and two-thirds against Abaldo Jimenez. So we can talk all you want about Pedro Alvarez booting that ground ball, and, and that's fine, and it changed his line from six earned to three. But that was just a matter of time. When you're giving up hits and walks like that, when you are not, a, not containing base runners, when you're allowing every base runner to get that extra base, it's a problem. And the Orioles, and, and I've been very vocal about saying, well, Abaldo's got a He's got an upside, and I was actually for the signing when it happened because his upside then was as a number one starter. I think that ship has now sailed, but he's shown signs of being a good pitcher, and they don't have a lot of choice as far as what to do instead. My only problem now is he's been so bad lately that anybody can be that bad, and you 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 are basically you are giving up on games these days when you send him out there and he gives up six runs and two two innings. You can't win baseball games like that, and Buck Showalter's too smart to just give games away. So the Orioles are nearing a, a decision, and I know everybody likes to joke about maybe a ball will step in that hole again in the parking lot and be out a few weeks, but do you swap Vance Worley and Abaldo Jimenez? I know Vance Worley's not great, but he has to be better than what Abaldo's been lately, doesn't he? It, just, it stands to reason that he can't be worse. You know, you, when you're a guy that's making 12 plus million dollars a year and you're basically throwing batting practice, that's embarrassing. And I, I think Abaldo Jimenez is a competitor. I don't think he's going out there trying to lose, but there's something either in his, his mechanics and his head. I think it's a combination where he just loses it out there and it's gotten to be so bad that they can't keep sitting out there. He's going to get booed in his own stadium on Thursday, if he has another one of these starts like he has had the last two, and it's going to get ugly. 
it's going to get really ugly. That's it for us. I hope you enjoyed the Ken Wyman Show. Check it out. Baltimore Sports and Life. Have a great day.